0: Check out our friends, Replay Heroes, on Spotify and Amazon Music. Hey there, and happy Father's Day. It's John Go, hanging out. Kristen's out. And so am I, actually. We're going to leave you with this awesome episode from The Vault. Yes. We're taking you all the way back, way back to an awesome time in the show. March 1st of 2013, when Kristen and I used to host the WDW Tiki Room podcast. And we're talking to Disney animator extraordinaire, Mr. Tom Bancroft. Of the Bancroft Brothers Podcast The Animation Podcast You can check that out In fact, uh, we're going to be talking to Tom Bancroft on our sister show Skull Rock Podcast here In a few weeks But we decided to take a look And talk about Disney and his art He's done so many great things for animation He's got a brand new studio That he's going to be talking about um, In the Skull Rock Podcast in a couple weeks So we're going to talk about that But anyway, we're talking about him And his... Work with Disney, how he kind of got involved with Disney, and all the different things he was involved in, right? He's known for his work with Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Mulan. He's done a lot of really cool things for Disney, and he's also done a lot of great animated projects in that time. So, anyway, he's the man, he is the guy behind Mushu, and we're happy to have him in this flashback episode of the show enjoy and uh don't forget too you can leave us some voicemails and messages the links are going to be in the show notes we'd love for you to do that there via anchor we would also like for you to uh subscribe to the show leave us those five star reviews but now without any further ado we now present to you a flashback a guest list if you will mr tom bancroft animator extraordinaire is on this flashback edition of the disney list enjoy sorcerer radio srsounds.com leave your show comments requests and discussion topics on the new wdw tiki room voicemail call 850-888-TIKI that's 850-888-8454 and don't forget to follow us on twitter and facebook at wdw tiki
2: room and don't forget to send me a postcard from the muppet studios oh yeah i'm sorry I can't do that, Walter. But,
0: Gary... Because... You're coming with us! (gasps) Book your next Disney vacation with Kristen Hetzel of Magical Journeys Travel. An unconventional agency for the unconventional client, Magical Journeys is dedicated to finding the best pricing for your next Magical Journey.
1: Wait a minute. I love that idea.
0: Kristen will work hard to save you money and give you the quality of service you deserve. As a well-established agency and an authorized Disney vacation planner, Magical Journeys Travel has many years in the travel industry and dealing with the infamous Disney reservation system. Let Kristen help you plan your next Magical journey. Journey to book travel or for a free quote, please contact Kristen Hetzel at www.magicaljourneystravel.com forward slash Kristen. Follow her on Twitter at Kristen Hetzel. Hey, come on, everybody. Magical Journeys, an authorized Disney vacation planner. You are going to be a force
2: for good and a very important sorcerer.
0: The following is an original production of the Sorcerer Radio Network.
1: Are you insane? This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Those who are making the time to arrive closed down places <laughs> for simulations, find us this is good. Oh, a banana, pal. Oh boy, are we glad you're here. Big doings going on, so let's get started. See you real soon. <laughs> let's do this thing. Interface complete.
0: Broadcasting from Music City. Oh, look at all the people. It's WDW Tiki Room, the show about all things Disney.
2: Pay attention, it's joke time. So it is. And what darling
1: people I have sitting
0: under me. With your hosts, Kristen, John, and
1: Natalie. Ach, oh, I almost fell out of my upper perch. Uh, uh, glad to see you all
0: aboard, ashore, uh, uh, or <laughs> wherever you are. Sorcerer Radio, srsounds.com. John here, and Kristen, Natalie are out for today. However, I've got a big surprise for you. Tom Bancroft, known for his animation with Disney films, he worked on Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Mulan, The Lion King, just to him a few and we have him here in studio to answer your questions. So enjoy our very special interview with Disney animator Tom Bancroft. WDW Tiki Room Celebrity Interview. In the Tiki Room with famed Disney artist, please help me welcome Mr. Tom Bancroft. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to have you on the program. Of course, the Tiki Room, the show about all things Disney. We love all the work that you've in, been involved in for the many, many years, uh, working with your, your brother Tony on, on these projects like Mulan, of course, uh, The Lion King. Why don't you tell a little bit about your growing up? Where, where did you grow up and where did you find that you had a skill for, for drawing and, and, and art in general?
2: Well, I grew up in California, and as you mentioned, I have a twin brother, Tony. And we both always did cartooning, and um, later on, uh, comic strips for the high school and uh, junior college newspapers. And our, you know, we were really big into Charles Schultz and the the Peanuts, and uh, uh, comic strips in general. That was our first love. And uh, and through that, then also around, you know, growing up, we were really big into Marvel comics. So you know, drawing superheroes, but that was hard. <laughs> you know, a lot of anatomy and stuff that kind of came later, but but at the time just seems too impossible to learn. Um, And then, and kind of fell in animation, really, but, well, growing up, our loves, and and this was during the kind of uh, late 70s, for the most part, that we were growing up, so um, in California, you know, what was big was, um, even back then, was like Ray Harryhausen movies, Um, we would see you know, Clash of the Titans and movies like that and love those and would see some of his older movies um, on, you know, Sunday afternoon movie, you know, movie for a Sunday afternoon, kind of a TV show. And, you know, because this was before video and DVD and all that. So you you really only saw a, a movie once, you know, and you had to be there sitting at your television when it came on. You couldn't DVR it. So. I just remember those were big events, you know, when a when a cool movie came on Sunday afternoon, and and we were home, and it happened to be a Ray Harryhausen movie or something like that. And Ray Harryhausen, for those that don't know, he was one of the very first stop motion animators, and so he did Jason on the Argonauts, and he would do all the animation, the stop motion animation of the the you know monsters and things like that that would come to life, and the live action people would fight him. So, yeah.
0: That, oh yeah, yeah. The, the, those uh, creature features, as it were. I think a lot of people forget forget about that. Jason and Argonauts is is such a great feat of animation for that time.
2: Oh, it is. I mean, even now it holds up. I mean, you yeah. can still watch it, even with CG animation, and go, "How did he do that?" There was one guy and maybe an yeah. assistant, and he was doing like six skeleton creatures fighting this live action that wasn't there. You know, and so he had to imagine, or not imagine, but frame by frame go through the film, and it was just amazing. And so we would read up on that kind of stuff, and this was early visual effects, you know, that we were very affected by and, and interested in. And so it kind of made sense that when, when we hit junior college in uh, Anaheim area, we met a guy on the, that was also doing a, a newspaper for our school, uh, I mean a comic strip for on our school newspaper, and his name was Eric Stefani. And we immediately hit it off because he was a really good cartoonist and we were also doing comic strips and liked our stuff. And so we were just, you know, artistically attracted to each other, I guess you could say, um, sure. but became really good friends. And then that summer we ended up making a, um, oh, what, he invited us to his house and he showed us this stop motion animation he did. It was clay animation. And during this time, this was back when Will Venton was doing clay animation, like, um, The California Grapes that were on the commercials, you know, heard it through the grapevine. Uh Um, Those were really big at the time. And so we started doing clay animation with him, and that summer did a little animated short. And it really, that's why I brought in the Ray Harryhausen influence, that because we love stop motion and didn't realize we could actually just get a Super 8 camera and create our own three-dimensional animation with clay animated puppets, Once we did that, we were just hooked. We were like, you know, seeing it move and come to life, really. And then then kind of backtracked and went, wait a second, but we already like to draw and kind of put the two together and said, wait, animation, drawing. Hey, we could become like a Disney animator, maybe, like a traditional animator. Mm -hmm. And so it was just kind of strange. Because back then, you kind of had to find your way when it came to animation and all that, because there weren't those, you know, as soon as Beauty and the Beast and those things became big, in the later, you know, whatever, 80s, 90s, you started having on your, your videos those behind the scene clips of animators working. Well, they didn't have that back when I was growing up, so you didn't really get to see that there were actual animators that got paid to make Disney movies. So we kind of had to fall into it. And, but once we did, we fell hard and then found out about California Institute of the Arts which is a school in California there that teaches uh, traditional animation. And it was fund- founded by Walt Disney. Um, mm-hmm. So it's an old, you know, Disney school, basically. And uh, it was a training ground for a lot of Disney uh, animators And like John Lasseter went there and Glen Keane and all the, the big Disney animators of the, you know, 80s and 90s and on back. Yeah, that I
0: mean, it's an amazing story and it's great that you and your brother were able to find, you know, something that you guys were passionate about at an early age and then develop into such a uh, great artist and develop such a great canon of work. And a lot of people don't realize it, you know, you and your brother, you know, had so many uh, films to your credit um You know working with the lion king and mulan and rescuers down under beauty and the beast mulan i mean you know uh, you know pocahontas i mean the list goes on and on um of your work what is it like because i have got a brother myself all right he's a younger he's a younger brother Mm -hmm. but what's it like being in a creative situation with your brother where you know you grew up together you have the same art you have the same type of passions you're working on films together what was it like working with a sibling, especially your twin brother, on all and so close uh, with these numerous numerous projects throughout the years? Um, how was that, and did the relationship uh, tend to be a, a little strained because of all of this work you had uh, done together?
2: Yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting because you know a lot of people ask that, you know, what was it like working with your twin brother on these Disney movies, and you know, my first answer is, well, we really didn't. Because what ended up happening was um, we both started back in 1989, uh, and we started to uh, at the opening day for Disney MGM Studios, their animation department. They had a tour there, and so we were on tour for the first you know few years of our career, um, where people could walk by and, and watch us you know animate and draw and. Um, Tony was only there for the first year. Right out of CalArts, we both got accepted into an internship in California. I'm backing up. So we, we went to CalArts, we got accepted our, our junior, our sophomore year into a, an internship for Disney. And that internship was in California because they were still building the Disney MGM studios at the time. Because this was about the end of 1988. And so they were looking for people to staff that that animation uh, studio slash tour that they wanted to open. And so, we were in the internship to staff that. Basically, we knew that if we got accepted, we would be moving to Florida to, to end up, you know, be staff of that that studio there. And we were fine with that. I mean, we were excited about the chance to work with Disney, and then on top of that, to move somewhere you know new and exciting. Sounded great to us. Yeah, but what ended up happening was Tony only stayed for a year, because he ended up becoming engaged to his girlfriend, um, during that first year there in Florida. And um, up ha- so he ended up moving back to get married and, and took a position at the California studio. So our first feature film was Rescuers Down Under. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that at the Florida studio. And Tony, about halfway through that feature, because right before that, our first project was um, Roller Coaster Rabbit, which was a, a Roger Rabbit cartoon short and it came out with Dick Tracy way back when. Um, We did that together in Florida, and then Tony about halfway through or toward the beginning of Rescuers ended up leaving um, and going to California. And so the rest of his career was in California, and I stayed, I ended up getting married, um, and we kind of set up our life in Florida. So I ended up staying in Florida for the the next 12 years or so, and, and while Tony was out in California. so. Our Dis- uh, most of our Disney career was, you know, separated by 3,000 miles. Um, so it, that's not to say we still didn't compete with each other. We did, and you know, there were some negative times there, especially at the beginning. You know, when you're trying, you're young, you're trying to move up in the company, and you want to. You know, Disney is very much, um, it's very competitive, and it's very much a like every other company where you're really competing for the next spot up. Um, with all of your peers so all of us young cleanup artists which is where you start in animation is you don't become an animator right out of school so you you go into cleanup and then you move into animation but all of us cleanup guys we're all young about the same age just getting married and you know in our you know early 20s and all wanted to be animators including my brother and I and so we would do animation tests late at night and on weekends and Um, trying to submit those to you know because even while you're you're employed there you still have to it's almost like you're not you know when you want to move up you have to do stuff on your own time to prove that you can become an animator and so we would show each other stuff but we were always very hard on each other you know and you know he'd give me notes on my tests and I'd give him notes on his and um, but it was it was certainly an exciting time and then when we finally did start breaking in animation Tony had an opportunity on Rescuers Down Under to become an animating assistant and meanwhile Florida was much smaller and there were no animation positions open so I couldn't move up so for Rescuers Down Under I I wasn't animating, I was still in cleanup and he was so that made it hard because I'm watching him you know, animate on rescues down under still doing cleanup. I mean, we're still working on a Disney feature film. So, I mean, I'm, I'm acting like it was a big deal <laughs> at the time. It was sure. But looking back, you're like, well, we still worked on the same movie, you know, and it's still pretty cool to say, you know, both of our names are in the credits. So does it doesn't really matter? You know, but, uh, and then I moved up on beating the beast. I became an animator on beating the beast and so we were both animators on that. And then Lion King and Aladdin, we were both animating. Uh, But again, 3,000 miles apart. So we were competing, but not. You know, I mean, most of the stuff that would come to Florida was, you know, segments of film, you know, of the film because we were a lot smaller. We were sort of the the number two studio for many years. They would just send us sequences. So like on Lion King, we did um, the Can't Wait to Be King sequence all in Florida. Mm-hmm. And it was perfect because it had did a, a little different style to it and it's all you know Simba talking about singing about can't wait to be king. But on so but the neat thing was was on Lion King we did have a nice moment there where we kind of melded Tony and I because I was doing Young Simba and meanwhile Tony was the supervising animator Pumba. And so in that one sequence where Simba I got the section of, of Simba um, waking up right after he's been exiled and he thinks that he's killed his dad Mufasa and now he's out in the desert he's run away and he's unconscious and then he, he wakes up that whole sequence where he wakes up all the way going into Hakuna Matata that sequence I did all the young Simba and Tony did all the Pumbaa and then his best friend uh, Mike Suri did all the Timon and so it was neat because it was just the three of us doing that one sequence because it was just those three characters in that whole sequence and uh, I flew out to California for that, and we worked together for a week on that one sequence. I mean, just to get it started. We didn't finish that one sequence.
0: Um, <laughs> I was going to say, a week, that's not a whole lot of time. <laughs> no, I know.
2: We did pull uh, an all-nighter uh, one night to rough out a ton of scenes with all three of us. We did. It was something I'll never forget, but we did a bunch of scenes all in one night and uh, to show the director of the night You know, right before I was about to fly back to Florida. So um, it, that was an exciting time. It was a neat thing to be able to say, yeah, there's this one sequence where we work really closely together. And, you know, I was doing one character talking to his character, you know. Wow. And so that was kind of a neat thing. But other than that, you know, a lot of our films, we've worked very separately. He was doing a different character. Or like on Milan, he became a co-director. He was co-directing Milan and came flew moved out to Florida for Milan after so many years in California, so the neat thing about that was he was out there with his family for, the, for a year and a half and I was a supervising animator, Mushu, the dragon, and so he was my boss in a way, being the co-director, but I had a lot of responsibility, um, you know, with Mushu and so it was we were both happy, you know, I mean it wasn't like there was any competition on that I didn't necessarily want to be the director. I was very happy supervising Mushu, and, uh, but he was happy doing what he was doing, and it was just, you know, we'd go out to lunch and talk shop and stuff. What was it like in getting the call
0: that, okay, I'm coming up and I'm gonna be part of the legacy of Disney even as a, as you said a a cleanup artist from CalArts you know you you graduate or you go to school and you know hey look I'm going to be put right into the cog of the big Disney machine and I get to meet the nine old men or I get to you know work on these things I mean what was it like for you to know that you're going to get this really cool gig and did you ever expect it uh, to be or to be in in a position where you were working on some of the most beloved films of all time
2: I mean, no, I mean, you, you, you can't, it's interesting because when I, when Tony and I got into animation, animation was dead. And we were actually being told by people that were in the industry not to do it. If you ever want to support your family or anything like that, I remember this one lady told me, um, don't ever get in animation because, you know, they were firing, they were uh, shutting down studios. Well, I was at CalArts in 88. That year that we were in uh, our freshman year, they shut down Filmation Studios and uh, Hanna-Barbera had massive layoffs. A lot of the TV animation was dying and going away. And, uh, you know, here we are are all starry-eyed. But at the same time, while that was in a real bad situation, and Disney was too, Disney wasn't doing so hot. When we went, Oliver and Company had just come out, I think when we were just starting our freshman year. Roger Rabbit had come out. Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out the summer between our freshman and sophomore year, and that's really what ignited um, the second renaissance of Disney animation was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, And then, of course, right after that was The Little Mermaid. Uh, Oh, no, right after that was... um, uh, Oliver and & Company and then Little Mermaid. Now a lot of people don't know but Oliver & Company really made good money for the time. You know mm-hmm. now they would it'd be like this disgrace and they would be embarrassed about it but at the time it was really good money that that, that movie made and then, of course Little Mermaid came out and it just blew everybody away so um, and then you know Who Framed Roger Rabbit really restarted the, the Renaissance so we had no idea Going into animation that we just were doing it for the love of it and we just felt like this is perfect for us and what we wanted to do and what we loved. And, but not knowing that it was going to, we were right at the cusp of the second boom and what a lot of people call the second golden age of Disney animation. Really, we were there for the whole ride. Um, because it, you know, like I said, it started Who Framed Roger Rabbit into Little Mermaid and then The Lion King and then Pocahontas and, you know, Aladdin or Aladdin, then Poconis. Um So, and then we did Milan out of Florida too. So, you know, it was just a, it was a good ride and it was a great time to be at Disney. So yeah, to say, you know, and we did get to meet a lot of the nine old men that were still alive. They, they would come by the studio um, in California when we were interns. They would come by. And so met Frank and Ollie and, and Ward Kimball and Mark Davis. And they would come down to Florida too. I mean, our, I remember our opening day at Disney MGM Studios, mm-hmm. which is now Hollywood Studios. Um, at opening day, they had um, I think five or six of the remaining uh, Disney's nine old men there for the opening, and it was really it was just for marketing and, and for press with the the new opening of the animation studio, and tour. So. Um, but afterwards, when all the press was over, um, we invited them into our studio and it was only, we were a tiny studio, we were probably like 50 to 70 people. So we could all gather around this one table in this big conference room, have them all sitting at the conference room, and they just sat around and talked about the, the days with Walt, you know, and they talked, told Walt stories, and they talked about working on Snow White, and they talked about working on Lady in the Tramp, and all these great stories that we heard right out of their mouths, it was it was really inspiring. You know, we would ask questions, and they had a little bit of interest in what was going on in animation with like The Little Mermaid. Like everybody wanted to know, what did you think of The Little Mermaid? You know, to Frank and Ollie, and, um, and they they were always very polite, but they didn't have a whole lot of opinions. To them, it was different. You know, what you guys are doing now is so different from what we did back then. And we didn't think it was, we were just trying to emulate what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just looked at it as a totally different thing. The movies we were making, like Aladdin, I remember a lot of the nine old men that were still alive would say, it was like, I remember Mark Davis saying, we would have never have made Aladdin, you know, because it was so um, topical. It was so current, you know, there were references in there to, to current day, you know, like, uh, Iago says not you know at one point and that was like at that time that was a funny saying you know Yeah. and now even kids don't get that reference you know but he said you know Walt was never into that he didn't like to have any kind of topical uh, present day references or wording or anything like that so he was yeah. a little bit more classic and, and I agree you know you look at the genie and, and the genie was really um more of that that day, or even today, you know, uh, kind of a character.
0: Mm-hmm. That would be interesting to note, uh, to see uh, how they would react to something like Tangled, which is, a you know, has a bunch of, of references, you know?
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: but, I mean, yeah. I,
2: I guarantee, and, you know, unfortunately, they're all dead now. None of them are still alive. That's right. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think they would be that into it, because, again, I think that was important to them. And I don't know if it was really as, as you know, thought about as they made it sound, you know? Uh, I think that just, that wasn't the trend back then, and so they would, probably wouldn't have gone that direction anyway. Um, but I don't know, I mean, you look at a lot of the old 40s Bugs Bunny cartoons, and there was a lot of, you know, very topical, you know, there were caricatures of, you know, um, Charlie Chaplin and, you know, people like that that were in the shorts, you know, they were always making present-day references in the Bugs Bunny short uh, cartoons. Um, yeah, but yeah. Disney didn't really go that direction. Well,
0: it, it's it's great nonetheless, I think, that uh, you did carry on that tradition, and I think a lot of Disney fans will... Uh, and obviously, uh, box office proves it, that uh, you know these stories, no matter how many little references there are to pop culture, that they still stand the test of time. Let me ask you about this. Was there any... Uh, to be a fly on the wall during those type of meetings with your staff of, uh, of animators and the nine old men, or you know the the six old men, if you will, um, that that came by uh, MGM during that time to uh, tell you stories. Is there any one particular thing that you picked up, or maybe a couple things that you picked up from them that may ha- that may have helped carry you through, or perhaps some words of advice that
2: uh, still holds true for you today? Hmm, is a hard one. It's always hard to answer those kind of questions. Um, oh, sorry to sorry to spring it on you. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, you know, the thing about the Nine Old Men is, that's amazing to me uh, that I can think, and this is more general, unfortunately, but is that, you know, a lot of what even the CG, you know, Pixar animators nowadays, but especially us traditional animators in the second generation of Disney, second or third, whatever you want to call it, but the second golden age, um, you know, we... We really were just trying to emulate what they did. I mean, they, they started with nothing. I mean, they, they didn't have the, some of the principles that we were working off of. We were on their shoulders, you know. Um, they were starting with a blank piece of paper and just the concept of, okay, you, you make something move by spacing the drawing. Okay, if I draw it here, now I'm going to move it over one inch on the next piece of paper, and it's going to look like it moved across the page. I mean, they're the most basic concepts. And that's what they started with, because that's all there was at that time. But then they brought in squash and stretch. I mean, that was a concept that they brought in back in Snow White, where you had a pliability where you could squash the cheeks. When a character you know closed its mouth, you know the cheeks would squish out a little bit. And when he, when he opened and, and his eyes was, would go wide, you know the the face would stretch and and you'd have a, a shape change that would give a pliability we call it squash and stretch in, in uh, animation. And that, that still, that lesson, you know, that they, they created with the dwarves back at Still White, we were still using that concept, you know, in uh, Pocahontas and in uh, Milan and, you know, Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. Um, not to mention overlap and all these other concepts that they created that we would then just repeat to the new guy below us, you know. But um, that's something that I'll, I'll never forget, is just that, you know, how much we owed them. And I think that's what happened. Every time they would come by while they were still alive, that was the praise they got from the animators, is that, you know consistent and constant, you know, wow, we can't thank you enough. You you guys, we're, we're working off your shoulders. You know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants uh, because yeah. of what you created. And I remember that Ray Harryhausen came. That was a big day for me, too. And he came to the studio in Florida and gave a little talk for us. And um, uh, it was the same kind of awe and, and inspiration for all of us when he came, too, because even the Nile men were kind of working off of concepts and things that he developed, um, even before them, or, or in some simultaneous to them. But I mean, the, those guys were just visionaries, you know. And it, who would have thought? You know, I don't think we created anything new. We just were using the tools that they gave us, basically, and creating new characters, yes, but not really new animation concepts because it all had been created already at that point. Now we were just trying to live up to what they had done, you know. And, and the funny thing is, and this I, I do remember, I remember Mark Davis and um, Frank and Ollie, uh, they would all say, well, you guys draw so much better than we drew. You know, when, he would, when we would ask him about, you know, Aladdin or whatever movie we had just finished, they'd say, well, I mean, you guys just, you know, you draw so much better than we did. And that's why these movies look so great. We can't believe how good they look. And we were like, what? We couldn't, couldn't believe they were saying that because we still look at their drawings and think, you know, put on such a pedestal, but, and I, and I guess what they're saying is, is that, they, yeah, they were the top guys, you know, they were the top, and, and you could still look at their drawings and probably say they would be top today too, but I think overall the, the studio wasn't as strong. There were a lot of beginners. There were a lot of people that weren't, you know, we kind of look back at the past and think everybody was that level. and. That's kind of what they were saying was that, no, there, there were a lot of bad artists. <laughs> you know, and they would, they would say stuff like that. And uh, we couldn't believe it because you only hear about, you know, the top stuff and the really good, but they had to go over a lot of stuff and things like that. And, um, you know, not to say that we all weren't the best artists in the world either, but we, you know, they looked at us as a studio and said, you know, you guys are producing artwork that we as a studio couldn't produce back then. And that was really neat to hear. We're going to take a short break.
0: We'll be right back with more from our guest Tom Bancroft, Disney Animator, when we come back. The WDW Tiki Room, Sorcerer Radio, SRSounds.com. Are you looking for some fun on Facebook with fellow Disney fans? Then you need to join the Sorcerer Radio Disney Fun Zone. The Fun Zone is an exclusive online gathering place where young and old alike can come and share their love of all things Disney in a family friendly atmosphere. It'll also be your place for exclusive downloads, images, giveaways, and more. Join us online by going to Facebook.com and searching for Sorcerer Radio Disney Fun Zone. That's the Sorcerer Radio Disney Fun Zone, part of Sorcerer Radio, SRSounds.com. Pardon the interruption. I have some news which I believe you will find most interesting. Would you like to hear the latest in Marvel television film and comic book news? Are you looking for some suggestions on what to pick up on new comic book day? Well, join Mike every Saturday night at 8 p.m. on Mighty Marvel Geeks here on Sorcerer Radio. Your source for all things Marvel. There is a matter that requires your attention. Mighty Marvel Geeks. A symbol all wrapped up here, sir. Will there be anything else? Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Weekly live shows and podcasts. RFR. Like Rebel Force Radio on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Rebel Force Radio. Your new source for the Force. Rebel Force Radio. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on Sorcerer Radio. SRSounds.com. The WDW Tiki Room, the radio show about everything Disney. Sorcerer Radio, srsounds.com. WDW Tiki Room, celebrity interview. We're back speaking to our special guest, Tom Bancroft, Disney animator. Were you around at that point when the studios ceased to be an, an actual animation studio? Um, over there at the MGM?
2: Oh, oh, no. Um, I had left... Um I actually left in two thousand to go to work for a small studio, Big Idea Productions, um, in Chicago, and um, and they did the uh, computer animated uh, short uh, videos called Veggie Tells. Yep. And um, so I helped develop their first feature film and things like that. And I was there for a couple of years, and when I, and then I, and they had layoffs, unfortunately, and then we moved back to Florida. But when we did, um, again, this was a couple of years later, it, uh, it was just to help. Finish up Brother Bear. I animated on Brother Bear. That's right. now, that was my last film, and the studio had changed quite a bit while I was gone. I mean, it, it was just, you know, it was kind of there was a lot of negativity. the 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 leadership of the whole company of the or of the president, president of Disney Animation was not very strong. He was not very pro feature animation, and they were getting into TV animation more and just wanted to do cheap and fast and Some of the quality things that were they just weren't celebrated and so I could kind of see the writing on the wall when I came back and so I only did Brother Bear and then I left and started my own company um, Still in Florida and while they the rest of the studio went on to start developing another film um, a few good a few good ghosts Mm -hmm. and That ended up getting canceled and then the studio was shut down completely so yeah i and that was in about two thousand and three, I think the end of two thousand and three begin around the begin two thousand four um but by then i i I was already not working at the studio when they shut it down, so but I mean of course, I knew a lot of people that were affected i mean there was a a huge few hundred people laid off.
0: You've got so many great films that you worked on, not just with your brother, but you know other other great uh, projects and things you've worked on through the years of uh you being an animator. What was, what is maybe, a your favorite character, maybe your favorite Disney character, and maybe your favorite character you've animated.
2: Hmm, it's always hard to have so many favorites. Um, as far as my favorite Disney char- character, um, I would probably go back to the older days and just you know, as a fan, and say uh, it would probably be either a Milk Call character or a Ward Kimball character. Those are two of my favorite old Nine Old Men Disney animators. Mm. Um, and you know what? Probably one of my absolute favorites uh, shorts that Disney did, or even films in general, is um, Johnny Appleseed. Mm. And almost all of that short would probably be some of my all-time favorite animation. Um, so the Johnny Appleseed character is near and dear to me. Um, I really love Ward Kimball's work. Um, I actually like some of the shorts and stuff that, uh, um, not the feature films. I mean, I love the feature films, but I mean, those are the things that stand out to me just from an animation standpoint because they would put so much into those uh, little short features and things. And uh, um, and I love some of the goofy animation too, um, some of that early goofy stuff. Sure. Um, So I guess I tend to like the cartoonier stuff, even though in my career I've done some very subtle characters like Pocahontas. Um, I think my heart will always be for the more cartoony, fun characters, more like Mushu and, um, you know, Yago and things like that. It seems to me like you have a very soft spot in your heart for Mushu. Yeah, I was going to say, that that would be, for the the second part of your question, you know, my favorite character of my characters would be definitely Mushu. I had... The most to do with him, you know, um, I, I actually designed him and um, was on that film for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Almost a year of doing animation tests and and designing him and then like the second year just creating animation for the actual production. And uh I worked with some great animators, you know, that were on my unit that also animated Mushu and then clean up leads and things like that. So it was a great group of people that I worked with, too, that gives me great memories of that time, too. Now, I take it, too, that you also probably did, you know, the
0: uh, art of animation section of it as well uh, for the attraction, correct?
2: Oh, um, are, oh you're talking about, what, the, the actual tour?
0: The actual, yeah, the actual, the actual tour.
2: Yeah, I'm actually in it.
0: Um, yeah, that, that's right. I, I, I was I was trying to point you in that direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, how how was it actually? Be, you know, still kind of being immortalized in you know that type of Disney attraction.
2: Yeah, it's really weird to me. I mean, it's <laughs> so funny that I still have friends. You know, now here I live in Nashville. Right. Have for the last nine years, and I still have people friends here in Nashville that will go to Disney World and come back, and they'll say oh, my gosh, I saw you in Florida, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, what? Oh, oh, yeah. You're like, yeah, I saw you. You were in that film and the animation tour. And, uh, yeah, so the irony that's, that's there is I had so many fond memories of working at the Disney Florida studio for so many years. It's neat to me that, you know, I'm, in a way, at least a still part of that, that tour and that, um, that studio, no. The studio's not there anymore, but at least part of the tour, because they filmed me. It was one of the very last things I did before I left the studio uh, to move to Chicago. I did the filming where I'm talking to Mushu. It's all about... Um, it's called Drawn Animation. Mm-hmm. And that little film that they made, I shot the live action where I'm the animator that comes up, and they say who I am and everything. <laughs> and they, you know, I actually talked to Mushu on another screen, and so I had to kind of look. And the neat thing, the irony there too, is that I actually animated a lot of that Mushu too. Me and another guy did a lot of that Mushu animation where, so I did both sides. You know, I, I was Mushu talking to me, and then I was me talking to Mushu, you know. <laughs> and there's some clips there where I'm actually talking to my own animation. Um, but the neat thing is, is that they had that at the California Adventure Studio. At one point, it was in three different, you know, coasts. You know, it was, in, it was at the Florida studio. Our Disney MGM, and now and then it was at California Studio, um, no California Adventures, uh-huh. sorry, and it was showing there. And then I also know I've heard many people say it's at the Paris Studio too, mm. and I speak French there. Oh, that's great! <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: when was the last time you've been to any of the Disney parks?
2: It's been a little while. Um, my my daughter uh, was just there. She's a cheerleader, so she was just there um, at Disney. Uh, not MGM, but at the uh, Walt Disney World for the. I think we were there for
0: that because she was over at, um, uh, because we were there a few weeks back, uh, for, I guess, a cheerleading competition yeah. or dance
2: competition? They have, every year they had the, the Nationals there. The nationals. Yeah,
0: over that Indiana Jones area. Yeah. Yep, yeah, we were just there for that. Oh, okay. Ran into a bunch of cheerleaders, and that that's funny. You, you guys were probably down there the same weekend we
2: were. <laughs> well, I, I didn't go, unfortunately. My wife oh. always goes on those trips. We have four girls, so she's oh, nice to the national cheerleading competition without me. Um, so, yeah, I would have loved to have gone, but I would have been more about taking in the parks and things like that. Um, <laughs> so my daughter was there. She enjoyed the parks. And I think the last park I went to was... Um, Probably Disneyland. Um, I went to uh, California Adventure like two summers ago because I have my family still lives in California. My mom and dad and my twin brother he lives out there with his family. So we've done a, a couple reunion things where we've gone to uh, you know Disneyland and California Adventure. Well, so. you know what would be really great,
0: Tom, is if you and the family were to come out with us during the D23 Expo this year and meet up with a bunch of our Sorcerer Radio listeners that are uh, from the West Coast area, and we'll just hang out and take in the uh, Expo and check out the right. Legend right. Ceremony and all that good stuff.
2: I'm all about that, and it's do yeah. you bring that up, and mention it to Disney, too, because... Yeah. My twin brother and I, we just did a a publicity thing, uh, like, probably two weeks ago. I was at the Disney Studios, um, and it was for the Milan Blu-ray. That's right. It's coming out on Blu-ray, so my brother and I were doing uh, some publicity for Disney. They called me and had me fly out for that. Um, and while, when we did that, I think they saw what a good team my brother and I are. You know, we kind of, we joke around, we make lots of jokes, we do drawings and, mm-hmm. and the crowd really liked it. And so they were like, hey, maybe we'll, we'll, you know, tell the D23 people that, you know, you guys would be great to come out and lecture for that and do a, a talk.
0: I would love that. I would, you know, and we know some people there at D23. So, uh, you know, guys over at D23, we need to have the Bancroft brothers in there to do a a, uh, a seminar and a panel because they're, you know, I'd love to speak to your brother, in fact. I mean, this, the both of you have so many great stories, uh, so many more to tell, and I know that the Disney fans out there would love to hear about it Um because I know there's just so much more to tell. Now, you know, you're doing a lot of artwork, and you're very... Uh, very in touch with your fans online through uh, the various social media and your websites. What kind of projects are you working on currently?
2: You know, a bunch. Uh, I I have my a job, and uh, because I'm a, a Christian, also I'm mm-hmm. like I mentioned, I had left Disney and I went to uh, Chicago a while in 2000 and worked with Big Idea Productions on VeggieTales mm-hmm. and that was really a faith thing for me too. That was one of the big reasons I did that. Um, and I've kind of kept into that. I've, right now I'm working with uh, Christian Broadcasting Network, and I'm the head character designer for a TV series they're doing called Superbook, which was a, a series they had done in the early 80s um, It was anime style, kind of looked like Speed Racer, like the old Speed Racer. I love series. that. Yes. And, uh, and that went around the world, and it was Bible stories, but with some like, you know, like a little robot and a kid and a girl, and they go on these, they go back in time on Bible adventures. And so, my former partner and I, we had a company called Funny Pages Productions here in Nashville, and I've left it within the last couple of years, but when we were doing that company together, we uh, had developed that show, redesigned all the characters uh, for CBN, and. Uh, Created an all new superbook series and now it's computer animated. And anyway, now I've kind of gotten reattached with them. And so in the last year and a half, I've been working on that, doing character design and uh, animation direction and some storyboarding. And so I get to do that here from Nashville out of my house, but it's animated in China. So I get to uh, work from here, but you know, go over computer models of characters, you know, that are sent to me. And, Uh, On the side, I'm also doing a lot of different things. One is I had developed a uh, comic book series um, a few years back called Opposite Forces. And so I've started a Kickstarter to basically put all four of those issues together in color and all the pinups and covers and added new sketchbook section. So I have a Kickstarter going on right now. If people want to go to kickstarter.com and and just put in Opposite Forces, um, they'll find that Kickstarter and uh, that, so that's a graphic novel that I'm doing right now. Um, and it's all finished, but I'm just putting it to, compiling the whole thing together. Um, and so that's kind of a dream project. And then um, I do a lot of freelance for video game uh, companies. Uh, oh, I, the, the other thing is i am kind of gotten to be known for character design, and that really kind of started with Mushu when I did the character design for Mushu. Mm-hmm. I found, kind of reignited a love I had for designing characters And so, as soon as I left Disney, I got a publishing contract with Watson Guptill and I created uh, one of the first How to Design Characters books, it's called Creating Characters with Personality. Right. Um, And that's become kind of one of the best known character design books, they use it at a lot of the art schools around the world. Um, And then I've come out recently within the last year with a second edition called Character Mentor and that's through Focal Press. And that's kind of going sort of now that you have your character, how do you bring it to life? And I talk about expressions and posing and staging your character. So those are art to art, kind of how to art books that I've done. And so because of those two art books, especially, I've kind of got a a social network built of kind of younger, up and coming artists. And so I'm kind of keep tapped in with that. Um, through uh, social networks like Facebook and, and deviantart.com mm-hmm. um, I'm on both of those and so that's been nice to be able to kind of keep in contact with the kind of the newer generation of people that wa- are wanting to break into animation and, and cartooning so yeah I'm kind of all over the place I do I do uh, online classes sometimes and workshops uh, for you know drawing for animation so um, no, that, that, that sounds great hopefully
0: We talked a little bit, you talked a little bit about up-and-coming artists and such. Do you have any advice for up-and-coming artists or wannabe animators that may be listening?
2: Uh, Yeah, I do. Um, You know, a lot of people, I get uh, emails all the time about people that say, I don't know, I've always wanted to work for Disney and it's my dream and my passion. And, you know, how do I get into Disney? And that's probably the number one question and you know there's long answers to that and short answers and usually these are online so I try and only give the short ones but um, you know what it really what I used to say give all these things about following your hopes and dreams and and I've found through the years that really the best answer for that is do you draw every day and so it's not really an answer it's more of a question because if they can't say I draw every day then to me that they're not going to make it and I, I I would rather be I used to say, you know, all these hopeful, dream-like things, but I don't. I don't want that as an artist. I want to hear the truth. I want to hear, okay, but no, I mean it. I really want to do this. How do I do it? And most of the time, when I ask that question back to them, they say no. You know, and I look at their online portfolios and things like that, and you can tell they don't. They're they're and, and I said, you know, you got to understand that getting into Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks, it's it's one of the most competitive things you can do. It's like trying to become Tom Cruise, you know, be the next big actor. Sure. You know, everybody wants that. So yeah, you got to stick out and then to stick out, that means you got to be the best. And so if you're not drawing every day and I always do this, I say, if I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, wouldn't you expect that I would have to practice every day? I'd have to swim. I'd have to be in that pool, wouldn't I? Well if I'm not drawing every day and I want to be an animator or I'm not even doing computer animation if I want to be a computer animator, then how how's that gonna happen? You know, it's not. And and it's funny how, you know, I I hate to sound like an old man, but, but this generation, you know, our newer generation, and, and I have kids that are teenagers and going off to college now, so I guess I could say this, you know, they 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 want everything that we had to fight so hard for. They want it right now. Right. You know? And I think that's a sort of a, a, a generational lack of understanding right now is that I didn't look at the Nine Old Men when I was growing up or Charles Schultz or any of the cartoonists that I idolized and go, oh man, I did want they, what they I wanted, yeah, to have a, a huge comic strip like Peanuts or, or one of those that were Garfield, you know, that were popular at the time. But I did have an understanding, at least, that I knew I had to be at a level that they were to be able to get that. I had to at least be able to say, yeah, but my drawings may be different, but they look as professional as theirs do, you know, at least. It's Um, it's interesting
0: you say that because, like, I think a lot of reality shows kind of dilute the fact that you have to pay your dues, earn your stripes. Yes. You have to be able to study and be a, a student of the craft whether it's songwriting, singing, anything in art, but any really in anything that you wanna do. If you wanna be the best in, in the best in the field, you really have to be a student of that. You know. Uh, and, and for me, being a musician or knowing a lot about, you know, uh, instruments or stringed instruments or whatever, it's really important that, that you know about that stuff so you can be knowledgeable about it. So you read and you study up on that stuff every day. You never stop learning. Yep. So it's, it's great that you say that because you, you are right. I think a lot of people forget that these people paved the way. They made their dues and there's something to be said about that, you know, earnest hard work. Yeah. Putting in the work.
2: And it doesn't happen, you know. You can't call yourself professional at anything with without doing that at work. And you know, even just going to school, you know, a lot of art schools. I have a love-hate relationship with art schools because, you know, a lot of them make it sound like, yeah, you go to this school, you get the diploma, you're going to become a Disney animator, you know. And even that doesn't happen because, and it, that's a rarity. You know, a lot of people can go to a great art school, and. Come out of there and still struggle to find a job, you know, especially nowadays with this economy. Sure. But because they're not the top people, you know, you didn't put in the time either before. I mean, really your high school years as, as a, a cartoonist or, or as a, uh, the up and coming animator or anything like that are actually important. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I can just become good after high school and not have d- drawn at all my whole childhood. Well that's not true. The ones that really make it, they have drawn their whole lives, you know. I mean it's it's a lifetime commitment to become a professional artist, I believe. And um, yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of people think they can just pick it up in college and become a top. Well, you're almost too late at that point. I really kind of look at Disney and and all the working within any kind of professional art as more like the Olympics because it is like that, it's kind of a lifetime commitment that, that starts early. Absolutely,
0: you know, I had a I had a dream growing up to actually do that, and I drew every day. I drew my own comics when I was, in, you know, in grade school, and and um, you know wanted to emulate, you know, the Ditkos in the world. And then, of course, the the you know, with you and your brother and your animation and all that, mm-hmm. you know, had, had made it happen. I remember. When Beauty and the Beast, you know, came out, I was in high school in Little Mermaid and I was, you know, uh, drawing all those great characters and, and doing all that in hopes that one day I'd do it. But then of course, uh, I also fell in love with music. So I ended up, uh, touring the world doing music instead and, and kind That's of abandoned I know, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's what happens when you move from Seattle to Nashville. You move to Nashville, then all of a sudden you pick up a guitar, and then you join a band, and then you tour the world. That's how it works, right? <laughs> <That's great. laughs> and we did yeah. And, and you know, we did also pay our dues. But I have to say, you know, on behalf of the Disney community, we really appreciate uh, all the great films and all the works that you're doing um, back with Disney, and of course your new projects as well. And I have to say, the new the new stuff does look really, really good. I wish you all the best in that, and I. Hope that maybe uh, you'll come and do some of these uh, uh, Comic Con convention style things where you could do your character sketch cards and all kinds of cool stuff because, yeah. um, you know, I know. But I don't know if you have any plans to do any of that. Do you have any upcoming conventions and appearances that uh, the Disney fans may be able to catch you at?
2: Well, a little bit. I don't know if the Disney fans would be there as much, but I, I do have a lot of comic uh, fans, too, because I've done some Disney comics and things like yeah. that uh, for Disney Adventures. Uh, but I, you know, I'm i a huge comic book fan, so I am planning on going to Heroes Con, and that's in uh, North Carolina in uh, June. Um, and then also the CTN Expo, in California um, I can't remember when that is a uh, no well it's well, after the summer but that's okay a, we'll, we'll put it in our show notes for sure yeah CTN Expo. expo um, and that's more of an animation uh, expo um, I may go to San Diego comic-con um, I did, I've done that for the last few years but um, I may skip that this year I'm not sure I'm still looking at that but uh, those are two things I'm looking at right now, actually, that I will most likely do. Um, but we, we want to do D23. I mean, when Disney kind of the marketing guy put that in my head just uh, last week, or well, two weeks ago, when I was at the studio, I, I told him I said, you know, we would love that, both Tony and I. So. Let's
0: do it, you know. Yeah. Um, That's what I'm gonna say. That's exactly what I'm gonna say to Jeffrey Epstein when we speak to him here in a little bit. We'll, <laughs> we'll say, Jeffrey, why don't we have the Bancroft Brothers, uh, you know, come on out and do a panel because, you know, once again, the, the fans would love to see you out there. And, uh, and by the way, it looks like the, uh, the CTN convention if I'm not mistaken, is going to be in uh, Burbank. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. it's at that. Uh, November 15th through 17th of this year. Yes,
2: that's right. And it's right okay. by the Burbank uh, airport there.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the animation capital of the world over there in Burbank, California. And you can go check out Tom and his exploits. Also, uh, I don't know if you want to shout out to your social media and the different websites so people can connect with you and see what kind of work you're throwing up on a daily basis.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I do try and be pretty active. And um, part of that is because I live in Nashville and I want people to know I'm still alive. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously I'm on Facebook. Um, and where we where, where I'd love to direct people off with Facebook is to, um, the fan page that my brother and I put together just last August. It's called the Bancroft Brothers. Oh, yeah. So look up the Bancroft Brothers on Facebook and like that. And Tony and I both post there quite a lot of artwork. And, uh, when we went out to that Disney studios thing for Milan, they had us do a lot of drawings of, um, for every single one of the reporters that came, we gave them a free drawing of, uh, I did Mushu and Tony did Crickey. Um, oh, that's so, um, great. And so we did 35 of those. And so we posted some of those on our, on our Facebook page as we were doing them. And actually Disney really liked that because it helps, you know, help market the, the Blu-rays, so that was good. Uh, and then I'm very active on DeviantArt, um, which if you're an artist, you've probably heard of that, um, that site, but it's kind of like a Facebook for artists where you can post artwork and, and people can comment on it and things like that. Um, it sounds worse than it is, but it's just mm-hmm. as nice. So I'm. Mean, oh no! No, I think
0: it's, it's, it's really a- cool. I, I see there on your DeviantArt Art page that you've got the cover for Opposite Forces on there. Yeah. And wow, you've got a lot of additional artists that are on there. I noticed Frank Cho's on there and Jay yeah. Scott Campbell. A bunch of great comic book artists are on there.
2: Yeah, and that's the the trade paperback that I have the Kickstarter uh, going on right now for. Um, and that'll be going for the next, I don't know, 20 days or so. I think I have that much time left. Um, can, can you give us a little idea of what Opposite Forces is about
0: before we uh, have to can, get...
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of the love of animation and comics, for, for me, put together. Um, I wrote It's the first time I wrote a story all on my own and illustrated it as a comic book series. And I self-published it back in 2000 to about 2006... And uh, and then, so this is me compiling all those plus all this other content that I never showed before, um, but the story is is about uh, this kind of nerdy guy Marty and this really good looking girl Alexis and they're kind of college age and they live right across from each other in an apartment and, and, and you know he's shy and wants to get to know her really has a crush on her and she doesn't she's seen him before but doesn't even know his name because she won't even talk to him and. There's a local, uh, within the city, there's a local superhero named Captain Dynamo, and he uh, is not a very nice guy. He's kind of a jerk, actually, but everybody thinks he's great. But he's all about, you know, just getting the cameras on him. And so he actually gets uh, attacked by an alien force. They send a ray down to strip him of his, his powers, but it goes awry and what ends up happening is when that ray hits him, all his powers are transferred to Marty and Alexis by accident because Captain (laughs) Dynamo's alter ego, Jack Gent, lives in the same apartment building as as those two. Uh, Oh, that's wonderful. And so they happen to be in close contact at that very second that he gets hit by this ray. So anyway, his powers, he's stripped now and he becomes this kind of crazy hermit guy that is now trying to figure out who stole his powers because now he's powerless. And nobody believes that he's really Captain Dynamo, of course. And so, meanwhile, they have his powers and they become superheroes. They decide, because, of course, Marty, that's his dream, to become a superhero. He's just a comic geek. And, of course, he drags Alexis in because they, their powers won't work right if they're more than 100 feet apart. So they oh. actually, like I said, opposites force to attract. And that's where I that like it comes from. Well, that that's wonderful. You can go ahead
0: and uh, check that out and apply to the Kickstarter and support this graphic novel. I think that's an awesome story, and as a artist and comic book fan, uh, you know uh, we have to support uh, what's going on out there. So, so thank you so much to that. And find, of course, uh, Tom Bancroft on Facebook. And uh, are you also on t- Twitter as well?
2: Oh yeah, I am. Uh, Tom okay. Bancroft one. Okay,
0: so we're gonna have to uh schedule a meet uh at some point you know maybe if if anything we can just have lunch or or go out to dinner we'll just uh we'll just have a good time and and hopefully uh we'll get you there at d twenty three we'll put in some good words for you, <laughs> yeah, you i'd appreciate it. thank you alvin. No problem. Thanks again. Once again, Tom Bancroft. Everywhere and anywhere on the Internet where good art is, that's where Tom is. You can find him everywhere, DeviantArt and Facebook and Twitter. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Algen. I appreciate it. Special thanks to our guest, Tom Bancroft, today. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to follow him on Facebook and Twitter. We'll have all those links on our Facebook page. We'll also be back next week with Kristen and Natalie. Don't forget to check out our sites over there, cookingwithmickeyblog.com, meetthemagic.com, and jedimousketeer.com. And, of course, more great source of radio music all day long at srsounds.com. In the meantime, like us on Facebook and Twitter. For the rest of the team, I'm Al John, and we'll see you real soon.
2: Don't just fork it down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> CookingWithMickeyBlog.com <laughs> For the latest Disney dining news, reviews, recipes, and how-to videos, visit CookingWithMickeyBlog.com. What did she say? She likes a soup. And for more Disney food news, follow Cooking with Mickey on Facebook and on Twitter at CookingWMickey. CookingWithMickeyBlog.com Anyone can cook. DBC-rental.com. DBC-rental.com is one of the best-kept secrets for getting deluxe Disney accommodations at a substantial savings. You don't have to own at the Disney Vacation Club to stay in one of their deluxe villas. DBC-rental.com. They work with dozens of DBC members who are unable to use their points and rent them to you for about a third of what you'd pay to stay at the same resort on your own, not being a DBC member. You can also stay at one of the seven resorts found on Walt Disney World property or those at Disneyland land vero beach and hilton head dvc rental.com to book your disney vacation club rental today or to find out more visit www.dvc-rental.com or email scott at dvc-rental.com or call 407-494-2320 tell scott you heard about them on sorcerer radio call 407-494-2320 407-494-2320. DVC-rental.com WW Tiki Room, 2014 event coverage made possible by Halloween Express. For Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars costumes, visit HalloweenExpress.com. MagicalJourneysVacations.com. Book your Disney vacation or cruise today. Jedi Mousketeer. Geeky news from the universe of Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars at ww.jedimousketeer.com. Dining at Disney.com, the happiest plate on earth. Dining tips and more at dining at Disney.com. WDW After Dark, the weekly webcast for adult Disney fans at www.wdwafterdark.com and Sorcerer Radio all Disney music all day long at srsounds.com.
2: Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the geek revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Listen to Weeby Geeks podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or online at weebygeeks.net. Weeby Geeks, your voice for the Geek Revolution. Want to know more? Get your geekish right over here for Walt Disney's enchanted geeky room. This has been a recording.
0: It's the WDW Tiki Room Podcast.
1: Uh, Glad to see you all aboard.
0: Uh, uh, Sure, or (laughs) wherever you are. With your hosts... Kristen and Al John.
2: So it is, and what darling people I have sitting under me.
1: Hello, Disney fans. I'm Kristen.
0: And I'm Al John of the WDW Tiki Room Podcast. On this podcast, we feature highlights from our Tiki Room morning and midday shows that originally aired on Sorcerer Radio.
1: You can interact with us via Twitter at WDW tiki Room and email us at TRMS at srsounds.com. Also, check out our website, room room.info.
0: Subscribe to the show via iTunes and Blueberry to get Disney news, interviews, trip planning info, and don't forget to give us those five-star ratings.
1: And make sure to tune in Fridays at 8 a.m. for the Tiki Room Morning Show under New Management with an encore presentation at 7 p.m. Then at 1 p.m. for the Tiki Room Midday Show, all times Eastern only on Sorcerer Radio, SRSounds.com.
0: The WDW Tiki Room Podcast with Kristen and Al John. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is a joint production of the Sorcerer Radio Network, WDW Teak Room, and the We Geeks Podcast Network. WDW Teak Room is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its holdings and is intended for entertainment purposes.
1: I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney Podcast. Every week I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth.
0: go rock podcast talking all things disney with your hosts al john go and dave bossert you just love to learn more about the magic that embodies animated films theme park attractions and more the all-encompassing universe created and produced by the genius of walt disney